Good morning, church. How are you all doing? It's me again, two weeks in a row. Uh, if you're new here, you're very welcome. As Barry was saying, uh, my name is Dina, uh, and I'm assistant pastor at Riverside Lisbon. Um, I disagree with Barry that this is the perfect weather for him in Bay Area, maybe, but not in Portugal. I still feel cold. I still need my winter jacket uh, in this weather. Uh, it's a special Sunday for us today. Uh, our pastors, Ruben and Gabby, they are in Riverside Kashkaish. So Riverside Kashkaish is celebrating their 25th year anniversary. Uh, and they have a special service, and they are participating in the service. Uh, they are speaking a little bit there. So Riverside Kashkaish was founded in 1996, 25 years ago. Um, some of you weren't born at the time. Um, I'm really small at the time. So it was founded by Pastor Eddie and Pastor Martha, and they were, uh, they came from South Africa, they lived in Portugal, and, uh, and they found this little small church in a small house. Now the church has grown so much with around 40 plus nationalities in the church, just like Riverside Lisbon. If you turn around and see, uh, if you're new here, you always see different people. You always wonder where they could have been from, which part of the country. Um, and Ruben and Gabby were actually serving as pastors in Kashkaish uh, in nine, 2017 until then. And then they moved here and they started a small church in Lisbon six years ago while also serving there. And then God moved them permanently and blessed us with this community. So I want to do a special shout out to Eddie, Marta, and all their ministry leaders and all their team throughout this year for obeying the calling of God and faithfully serving and building his kingdom in Portugal, in Kashkaish, and also planting this beautiful community in Lisbon. God bless their hearts. And I always love good um, stories that has very small beginnings and then grow, grow. Uh, when I first came to the church in 2018, we had like 10 to 15 people. Uh, <laughs> I actually got deceived by the name International Church. So I lived in U.S. a little bit. So I was thinking like a big church, so I can just stand in a corner and I go. And I come in here, it's an apartment actually, in a different location. I love simple beginnings and how God is working. God is faithful throughout the years to us. So speaking of humble beginnings, small beginnings, we are in this small sermon series uh, in the book of Ruth. So if you're here last week, we opened the book of Ruth and we studied the story, what happened in the book of Ruth. And we're going to continue that this week. So last week, what we did in the book of Ruth is we looked deep into the life of Naomi and we stepped in her shoes and we to understand what was Naomi's situation, how she decided to turn her life back after moving to Moab, back to Israel. And in midst of her financial, emotional, and spiritual distress, how she came back to God. It's such a powerful story. Uh, the story starts with death. It starts with loss. It starts with pain. And it ends with life. It ends with rest. It ends with restoration. And we looked at a character called Boaz in that story. And Boaz in the story played a central role in redeeming or helping that family come back to life. And we saw Boaz is an archetype of Jesus Christ. He's a, uh, we call it type, we call it a symbol 
of who is to come. So he, Jesus is our ultimate redeemer from our sin and brokenness, and we ultimately redeemed by Jesus. So amazing characters. We have Naomi, we have Boaz, and then we look deep into it and we see that this book is not named Naomi or Boaz, although they are amazing characters. This book is named Ruth. Everything in the story hinges on Ruth. We didn't spend time last week on Ruth, and we're going to spend time this week. So this morning, we're going to look at the same story from Ruth's perspective. What is Ruth doing in that story, and what is God teaching to us this morning through the life of Ruth? Let's turn to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. We are going to continue where we left off. Start from 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and you are God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Again, a quick recap. So the story starts with Elimelech. He's the husband. Naomi is the wife, and they have two sons. They move to this country of Moab. Uh, Andre, can you put that map that we have from last week? So that's, they move to Moab, and in the country of Moab, we have Elimelech, and both the sons passed away. They died. But they were both married. They both have, so there's only three women left. Naomi, Orpah, I keep saying Oprah, and I was practicing, so I'm well like, keeping in mind. So Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. So we have these three women in Moab deciding to go back to Bethlehem, to Israel. So on their way, they stopped. Okay. So Naomi is huddle, huddling up all these women, two women. They go like, hey guys, let's talk about it, my daughters. And Naomi is saying, I think we need to rethink this strategy. I can go back home because I know some people there, but you both don't have anything in Israel. You are both Moabite women. You will be foreigners when you move back to Bethlehem. You don't know anyone there. And moreover, Naomi can't provide for them. We talked about it last week. She's old. She's poor. She sold her land. She doesn't have any more children. So Naomi emphasized three times in the previous verses to tell both the girls to go back home. So after a lot of discussions and crying, Orpah returns home. See, when we see this, we go like, oh, that is really bad of Orpah. But Orpah made a sensible decision. She looked at her life. She looked at the situation. No one will immigrate to a worse situation. Everyone immigrates to a better situation. So she says, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to go back. There's no guarantee that I can survive in Israel. There's no guarantee that my life will be better. At least if I go back home, I can go back to my parents' home. I may get remarried. I may even have a new life. So it's an easy decision to make for Orpah. So she returns home, right? But 
the, the verse says, if you go back to the previous slide, Ruth clung to Naomi, which means holding on tightly. Where was it? Right there. Ruth clung to Naomi. Naomi says, go back to your people, go back to your God. What are you doing? But Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Uh, before we go di deep, dive, dive deep into this, I want to show you uh, an important part in this. So what Ruth is essentially doing is not just making a bad decision, and Orpah is making a good decision. Ruth is essentially what she's doing is she's going through a conversion. She, her heart is being converted. Well, how do I know that? She says, your God will be my God. And then later on, she says, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So the word Lord, L-O-R-D, if you look into your Bible, it will be in small caps, L-O-R-D. So in Hebrew, God, Elohim, is the generic word for God. They say God, it's a generic word. But the Lord, small caps, Yahweh, it's a personal name that God gave to his covenant people, only to Israel, that God gave the name Yahweh. And this is the same name that was revealed to Moses in the burning bush. Burning bush. And Ruth, a Moabite woman who probably heard about this God of Israel, because her country is right next to Israel, she heard about the story, she's bringing the Lord's name into this and saying, let the Lord deal with me if I leave you. Your God will be my God. And I'm making a promise in front of Yahweh. See, her, her decision is not an easy one. Orpah's decision is an easy one. Just go back, whatever seems good for you. But Ruth's decision is not easy. If she stays back in Moab, she can have a comfortable life. She will have a name. She will have a family. She will have friends. She will have connections. She will have safety, maybe remarriage and a future. But her faith in Yahweh will not survive in Moab because Moab is not Israel at the time. She may be materially great. She may have a good status in life, but her faith will die. But... If she follows Naomi back to Israel, her faith will grow. She will follow Yahweh, but she will have no name. She will have no wealth. She will have no safety. She will be treated as a foreigner in a foreign land. It's not an easy choice to make. And, and we all have ch choices in our life. We all face choices every day in our life. And maybe not outright should I go to another country or not? Or maybe it is. But we all have choices every day. We all say, sometimes, I, I like following Jesus. I, I like this whole thing. But don't ask me to believe everything in the Bible. Maybe some things are too much. Or don't ask me to surrender everything. If I have to make a choice, I really can't give up my lifestyle. I can't give up my financial security. I can't give up my certain habits. 
Or some people say, I like following Jesus, coming to church, learning about this whole Christianity thing, as long as everything in my life goes well. If my life is good, then I will follow. And sometimes I think we use Jesus as a means to get what we want. We have our dreams, we have our goals, and we say, Jesus, take the wheel now. What we really mean is, take the wheel and lead me back to my, to my dreams, to my goals. That's not really following. Everyone follows something. You're either following money or comfort, job, security, friends, relationships, or God. Unless you surrender all your wishes, your dreams, your lifestyle, your everything at the foot of the cross, you don't know what it means or what it takes really to follow God, like Ruth did. You can't follow two things at the same time. You can't say, I'll follow God, plus I also need all these things. See, having all these things is not a bad thing, right? Like, I, I want to be very clear. God will bless us. God will provide for us. He cares for his people. But when we run behind them, when we make them our God, and that's when that's not going to be possible. That's not surrendering everything. Bible says no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And here, in this verse, money is what Jesus is talking about, but it can be applied for anything in, the, anything in your life. Replace money with anything that has ultimate importance in your life. You cannot serve both God and my girlfriend. You cannot serve both God and your security. You cannot serve both God and my, my addicted habits. You, you just can't. And, and in this story, Ruth was not expecting, hopefully life will go good by following God. Actually, she was expecting the worst. She knows life is not going to be good in Israel. She knows the cost of following God. And she's a Moabite, and again, when I say she's a Moabite, it, it doesn't bring as much weight today. In those days, if you, look, if you read to the book of Ruth, around six or seven times, every time Ruth is mentioned, the author says, Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess. It is like attached to her identity. And it is not a good identity. To be honest, in Israel, it's like a bad thing, like that girl from Moab, that one. And she will be very probably racially mistreated in Israel. And she's a woman at the time, and we know they don't have any advantage in society, in ancient cultures. And she's poor. On top of it, she's a widow. Consider all this yet she decides to go back to Israel. Yet she decides to follow God no matter what. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. She knows what's going to happen. And that's, that's a commitment that comes with a covenant, right? So, so she's essentially making a covenant with Yahweh, saying that let God judge between you and me if I fail this covenant that I will follow you no matter what. And Boaz, 
and story is all going well. Later in this chapter 2, Boaz says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth took refuge in the wings of the Almighty. So remember, Ruth was an outsider. She was not a part of this Israel community at the time. She was outside the promise of God. She's outside the covenant community. So people reject her in Israel, but God didn't. When you turn your heart to God, whatever outside part you are in, you won't be rejected by God. And only through this commitment of Ruth, God changed everything in the story. And everything hinges on Ruth. Ruth is the one who went back to Naomi, even though circumstances are hard. And Ruth is the one who risked her life and went and gleaned crops. And Ruth is the one who proposed to Boaz. Again, another risky move. And Ruth, Ruth is the one who got married. Ruth is, the, Ruth is the one who got kids. Everything around this story is clings on Ruth because she came to God Almighty for her refuge. In spite of her background, in spite of her Moab background. And, and, I, and I hear a lot of people say when we talk in church and we, they say, man, Dina, I, it's so cool to hear your story. I wish I had a Christian upbringing. I wish I know Bible a, li a little bit more. I wish I had so many years I wasted. I wish I could do things. I wish I could change things. See, Ruth missed all these things. Ruth did not have a Christian, Christian upbringing. Ruth did not grow up in Israel community. But when Ruth puts her trust in the Lord, when you put your trust in the Lord, wherever you are, whatever your past is, if you commit to follow Jesus no matter what, God can use your life to bring an everlasting impact. Ruth may not have a good life like Orpah had in Moab, but she did have a much, much greater life that God brought redemption in her life. See, we can define what is good life, what is bad life, and how I want to live, how I don't want to live, but when you surrender your definition of good and bad, when you surrender what's good in my eyes, and God can bring purpose to your life, God can bring completion in your life, and he can ultimately bring redemption. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. That's what it means to follow God. Your people will be my people. You are God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there, I will be buried. And we read this sometimes in our wedding cards, don't we? Like in Pinterest post. Really cute verse. Where you go, I will go. Um, but this is not something between Boaz and Ruth, right? We all get that. It's not a love story. It's, it's it is a love story, but very very minor detail of love story. It's more than a love story. It's a story of friendship. It's story of loyalty between two women, between Ruth and between Naomi. See, when Ruth decides to go back with Naomi, what happens to Naomi is that 
Okay, what happens to Naomi if Ruth doesn't go? We talked about last week. Naomi doesn't have options at home. She can't do much. She can't work. She's poor. She doesn't have a land. She doesn't have kids. If both Naomi and Ruth decides to stay in Moab, sorry, both Ruth and Orpah decide to stay in Moab, Naomi probably will die. She has no one there. But Ruth decides to go back with Naomi, which means she's essentially has to give up her life. And Ruth knows this. If Naomi has to ha get her life back, Ruth has to throw hers away. If Naomi has to get a name, a land, a life back in Israel, Ruth essentially has to give up her own name. She has to live her familiar place. She has to live her father's house. She has to live, leave, leave everything she knows about it, and she has to suffer in a foreign country so Naomi can be redeemed. She's laying her life down for a friend. And at the end of the story, how do we know all this? How can I conclude that she's laying her life down? At the end of the story, we see Naomi was finally indeed redeemed. God restores her family and people are singing with joy. And then the women are singing in chapter 4. The women sent to Naomi, praise be the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better than you than seven sons has given him birth. Your daughter-in-law who loves you. Quick, another history lesson. Seven sons. What does seven sons mean? Why is it seven sons, not ten sons? So seven, if you a little bit know your Old Testament, seven is a complete number. It means complete. It means full. It means ideal. When they say seven sons in those days, it means the perfect family. It means the ideal family that one can expect. It means that's the ideal. I want to go for it. And in, in, our, in our culture, maybe when we say ideal, it might not be a family. It could be an ideal of our life. I want an ideal job. I want an ideal um, lifestyle. I want an ideal upbringing. I want an ideal kids. And, and, and the, the, they're singing that your daughter-in-law who loves you is better than seven sons. They're essentially saying it's better than the perfect life that you can have. It's better than the whole perfect family that you can have. How's that possible? Ruth, one woman, again, women is not considered in that time equal to having a son. So one woman, uh, that to a, a Moabitess, that to a foreign woman, a poor widow, everyone looked down on those days, they're saying she's better than the perfect family because of her love, because of her loyalty, because of friendship towards Naomi. Ruth indeed entered a covenant with God, saying, let God judge me if I fail this covenant. But she also entered a covenant with Naomi. I'm going to be there for you, whatever happens. I will walk with you, whatever happens. 
And I want to ask you this morning, do we have a friend like this in our lives? Especially in this community of faith. Do we have a friend like this? Not, hi, bye, good morning, everything is good, see you later. We do that a lot. And not Facebook friends, don't count that. No, I, and not Instagram followers, no. A friend that can make a vow or a promise to be present with you, to spend time with you, to be there for you in your highs and lows. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Let me put it this way. Instead of asking, do I have a friend? Are you being a friend to someone like that? Or are we too busy in our lives? You know what Ruth did not do in this story? Ruth is not the one who solved all Naomi's problem. Ruth is not the one who gave all the information about the theology about why she, Naomi is suffering. And, and we, we think that sometimes if I want to be a friend to someone, I have to solve all their problems. I got to give them all the solutions they need in their life. That's not true. What Ruth is doing here is all she does is to commit to her to help wherever she can and being present for her. And in, in today's world, I, I was thinking about it while I was writing this, and I thought technology has made it actually much better. It, it connected people, it shrinked the world, we can be more connected, we can be more there for other people. And then I realized the more time I was in phone, the more time I feel disconnected from people. I don't feel connected, I, I feel actually disconnected. Our culture is becoming so individualistic where everything we need comes to our door. You don't have to step out for anything. You don't have to have conversation with anyone. From morning to evening, you can be in your apartment and you can have a comfortable life. You don't even have to come to church. You have a sermon online. You have a worship online. Everything is online. But remember, friendships are vital to in your Christian life. It is vital in your Christian walk. If you know our community, uh, we talked about Multiple times we, we don't have the upper space, construction is going on right now. We usually, when we finish, we go up, have lunch together, and then we have coffee together. Our community is built on friendships. We didn't make any advertising efforts to promote the church. It's just built on continuous walk with people. I know some of the close friends in church, I, and I, my heart was really fills every time they share their story, how they hanged out together, how they helped each other. But it's mostly women, though. I tell you, guys have to step up. We, like, they go out together, they have coffees together, they share their life. Guys feel so macho to do that. We, like, no, we just watch TV and watch football. I can speak, give the sermon for one hour, explain all the theology. But if you don't have a friend or if you don't have someone to process it with, someone to walk with from Monday to Friday or a small group that you can be a part of and really digest the word, it is hard to take root just by listening to 30-minute sermon on a Sunday. Root suffers outsider comforts. And I'm, I'm not saying being a friend is easy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the opposite. It is hard. You have to come out of your comfort zone. You can't, you can't just be whatever, 
you're not there for you, you're there for the other person. And Ruth suffers outside her comforts, outside her place, so she can be there for Naomi, so that Naomi won't be alone. See, it's intercultural, interracial, interage, I don't know what they call it. That kind of friendship, they, they, Naomi is probably like in her late 40s and, and Ruth is in late 20s. And you can still be friends. It, it is not like only if we go to the same college or if I'm a developer, then I can be a friends with you. No, you can be friends with anyone. And through this friendship, not through any government program that Israel was implementing, through this little friendship, God brought redemption. And Boaz says in chapter 3, this is amazing, blows my mind. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you, I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. You know where the only other place the women of noble character comes in the Bible? Any guesses? Women of noble character? It's Proverbs. And everyone is so excited about Proverbs 31. If you are a Christian for a little bit, everyone knows Proverbs 31. It's the ideal wife or ideal women, the women of noble character. That's how I want to be. And the guys will be like, that's the wife I want. Maybe they should be try to emulate that a little bit more. Do you know in a Hebrew canon, it's, it's scrolls, and English canon is different. English Bible is arranged based on history, uh, on the timelines. But Hebrew canon was, was arranged. You have Torah, and you have Netuvim, you have Ketuvim. Sorry to bore you with details. But in Hebrew canon, Ruth comes after Proverbs. And Ruth comes after Proverbs 31. It is as if the authors are telling you, let's read Proverbs 31. Wow, that's an ideal woman. And then you turn the page, and there is Ruth. And the same word comes in. Boaz says, you are a woman of noble character. And women of noble character whose worth is far more than rubies and jewels, Proverbs say. You want to emulate the character of Proverbs 31 women? You want to be like one? follow Ruth. Look at the life of Ruth. Love your friends with commitment and constancy. And Jesus says in this in the New Testament, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love as no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. See, the, the story is very this this book is so rich and this book is so little just four chapters and so power packed and the story ends well we 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 studied last week that Ruth steps out of her comfort zone follows Naomi and steps out of her comfort zone again put her life on risk and start gleaning so Naomi can eat and she puts out of her comfort zone again to ask Boaz to marry her This, uh, I would you can even call this book as a gospel according to Ruth. You can see the gospel so clearly in this book. 
the gospel breaks the barrier of culture. It breaks the barrier of race. It breaks the barrier of sex. Breaks the barrier of economic standards in which level you are in. And shows that if God is in the center of your life, if you put God is in the center of your life, that is all you need. And this morning, God is calling us to follow him like Ruth did with a covenantal commitment with no matter what attitude. And he's calling us to be a friend to someone like Ruth was to Naomi. To being present for them, to be with them, to be committed to them. And I'm going to close here really quick here because I, like I said, we can talk another one hour on this book, but I don't want to close this series without just with a lot of knowledge, but really think about how can my life can change? How can God work in my life to be a good friend to someone? How can I can follow God in which areas of my life I'm not following God? In which areas of my life I have not given to God as much? And if you're like me, on one end, this is an inspiring story, amazing, love this uh, uh, underdog story where it's little girl changing lives. On the other end, if you're looking at the story and thinking, man, I can never be like Ruth. I, I just can't. It's just too much. I, you don't know my situation. You don't know my life. You don't know my struggles. I'm not in a position to help others. I'm not in a position to be a good friend. And I, I fail all the time to follow God. Every time I try to follow God, I go three days, and then two days I fail again. I can't open my Bible. I can't think. I can't do anything. So what is, what is the secret? How, how can I live like Ruth? How can we emulate her? The answer is you can't. At least not by yourself. We need someone else do it for us. And then give it back to us and say, hey, here's a life that you can never earn. Here's a life more like Ruth, even much better like Ruth. Here, take it. And now go live like that. If someone does that to me, then I can do it. Because I can't earn myself. And, and we know the story just like last week. Centuries later, in the same lineage of Ruth, Ruth's great, 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 several great son was born in Bethlehem, the same hometown of Ruth, and his name is Jesus. And just like his mother Ruth, Jesus left his father's throne. He left his father's place, his comforts, his everything that he's familiar with, his, his glory, and he emptied himself, and he took a form of a servant, just like Ruth. Why? So you can have a friend. You can be with someone. He can be present with you. A friend who truly loved us the Bible says there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. And Ruth did say in the, in the scripture, where you die, I will die, and I will be buried. But God did not let Ruth die. God did not let her die in pain and suffering. God restored her life. God saved her. But you know what happened to Jesus? God did let him die. He did go to the cross. He did suffer. He did took the pain. 
He is the one who's greater than Ruth, who said, I love you so much, not just I step out of my comfort zone so I can be with you, but I'm going to die for you so I can be with you forever. He's our ultimate friend who has died for us and poured his spirit on us so now you can just follow him. He just gave it back to you. Now you just have to do what he did. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I'm going to invite the worship team here as we close. Is your faith shaky sometimes? Is your faith, I don't know if I can have a faith like Ruth. I don't have a, have a faith like all these other people that I read in the Bible. Don't worry. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's a solution. Your solution is not like just gathering up more hope, gathering up more faith. No, keep your eyes on Jesus. When following becomes hard, when situations become hard, when just following other things is much, much easier, choosing the things that are not right is much, much easier than following God. Look at Jesus. Look at the cross. See, our, our actions will be only follow how you motivate yourself. So the way you look at the cross, the way it reminds you of what he did, it automatically changes your heart. It's an inside-out kingdom. God changes you inside. Your outside will flow automatically. Don't look always like your failures, what's outside. Look at what's inside. Look at your motivation. Is being a friend hard? Is being a friend take so much out of your comfort zone? Same answer. Look at Jesus. Look at what he did for you at the cross. Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne. He put his eyes on the joy of saving you. He put his eyes on the joy of being your friend. And he's asking you to do the same thing. Fix your eyes on Jesus so you can run with perseverance. Fix your eyes on Jesus so you can follow him through and through. And fix your eyes on Jesus so you can be there for your friend next to you. He has already done everything for you guys. Church, this is something I want to again say. I don't want you guys to take home that I want to be, your life is dependent on, you have to be like Boaz. You have to be like Ruth. No, the answer is Jesus was like Boaz. Jesus was like Ruth. He has already did everything for you. You are not trying to impress God. You are not trying to get his love. You are not trying to be worthy of his friendship. You are already fully loved. You are fully redeemed. You are accepted as his friend already. 
when you accepted Jesus in your life. You are a child of God, and you can live like one. You can be like Ruth. You can even be more like Ruth. You can love others like Jesus did. You can lay your, lay your lives down. Believe that. Why? Because Jesus did it already, and his spirit lives in us. I want to ask you guys to stand with me as we close. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, God. We, we come to you empty-handed. We come to you with honesty. We come to you with your brokenness. We, we tried following you. We tried, but we couldn't, God. We keep failing. We tried developing new habits. We tried things, but we keep failing, God, and we feel sometimes worthless. God, help us to fix our eyes on you. God, help us to see what you already did for us. Help us to see that we are accepted already. God, give us the confidence, God, that we can follow you indeed. God, renew our commitment, God. God, I want to pray for the whole church. God, let us renew our commitment to you this morning. We'll follow you all our days. Step by step, we'll follow you. God, help us to be a good friend to others. Help us to be there for someone. Help us to be committed to someone. God, help us not to be so thinking about ourselves all the time. God, help us to focus on others. God, change your hearts, God. If you don't change your hearts, we wouldn't be to anything, God. Would your spirit change us? Would your spirit renew her spirit every day, God? God, I want to pray for people who are here for the, listening to this first time. God, let them hear the gospel. Let the gospel take root in their hearts. Let them see the beauty of the gospel. Let them see this countercultural gospel. Let them see this, the grace that breaks all barriers in life. Let them see the beauty of the cross. I come to you, God. Change their hearts. God, we are submitting ourselves to you. Let a life be a living sacrifice to you in your presence. Not just one day, not, not just on Sunday, but every day, God. Let a life follow you every day. Let our choices reflect you. God, we live as if we live in front of God, in the face of God. Help us, Father. Lead us to righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name.